Thank you for joining us. Um, please post your questions into the Q&A box. There should be a, um, an icon for you to open that. You have the option of posting those questions anonymously. We will try to answer those as they come in, but give us, you know, give us a little time. We'll hopefully get to them. Uh, I have disabled the chat box, so please don't try to post questions in the chat box. Please use the question and answer box. Uh, an evaluation survey is going to be provided at the end of this webinar. And on question six, it will provide a link for you to print a certificate of attendance for having been here today. If you have questions about that certificate, please contact InSource at InSource.org. Jill and I don't do the certificate, so we can't, we can't answer any of those questions, but please, please be sure to do the survey at the conclusion of the webinar and you'll have access to your certificate. If uh, you are a call-in only user, some people don't get onto their computer or don't get into the program through their phone, you're only calling in by telephone. We know you're there, but we don't know who you are. And so if you need that certificate and that survey, you're going to need to contact InSource at InSource.org or call the toll-free number 800-332-4433 by the end of business day today. And please let staff know you may need to leave a message. We are open, but you need, may need to leave a message that you did in fact attend by phone and that you would like access to that certificate. You can view previously recorded webinars on our website, and I've posted the uh, link to our website under archived webinars. Okay. We always try to do a legal disclaimer. We are not um, a legal service agency. InSource is not a legal services agency. We're not attorneys, and we don't represent parents or children. The information provided today is uh, just exactly that, educational information. If parents or others have legal questions, they are certainly free to consult with, with an attorney to get those questions answered. Okay, and I do see a question. Are you going to provide slides after the webinar? Um, those slides, the, the handouts for today's presentation were made available when you first submitted your registration, a link came up, and then the uh, reminder email that you got this morning that provides this, it provided the same information there. The handouts are all there. So you should have received it um, when you first registered, and then it should have been in your reminder email this morning as well, the, the handouts that go along with it. So at this point, I'm going to Turn the presentation over to Jill, who's going to introduce Betsy. And Betsy, if you'd like, you can go ahead and share your, um, your presentation and get that up and running while Jill does the introduction. Well, I, and I would like to welcome everyone today. Um, and my name is Jill Summerlot with InSource. And um, I would like to introduce to you um, someone who is a, is a, a dear friend of mine. Um, Betsy and I have been friends, transparency here, Betsy and I have been friends for years. Um, actually met Betsy whenever she was a counselor um, with my kids whenever they were in the middle school. But a little bit about Betsy, this is her fourth year for her to be at the director of the BUILD program. Um, she spent her younger years as a special education teacher, a counselor. Um, she was a special education coordinator in Putnam County, uh, Morgan County, Morgan County, and Hendricks County. Um, since she's been at the University of Indianapolis, she's implemented the Autism Support Program as a piece of the BUILD program. Um, Betsy is married to a math teacher, and she has three beautiful children, 20, 18, and 13. She doesn't look old enough to have kids that old, but she does. Um, two of her children do have disabilities, um, so she's gotten to see both sides of this arena, this, the, the um, being from the adult side to the child side, and now um, she's gotten to even see him um, in the university side now. Her oldest son does attend Trine University, 
and she does have a, a freshman here at the University of Indianapolis campus. So without further ado, I would like for you to see Betsy Fouts. Go ahead, Betsy. Hello, thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm gonna to talk to you about BUILD today. BUILD is a college program uh, that helps students as they are earning their college degree. It is important to note that BUILD is not a, um, it's not a program for students who are not earning their de degree. So it's not a college experience program. It really is a college support program. Uh, BUILD stands for the Baccalaureate for the University of Indianapolis Learning Disabled, and it was established in 1990. So this is our 30th year, uh, which I think is amazing because I had never heard of this program until about five years ago. So I think we are definitely one of the best kept secrets in Indiana. So before I can really talk to you about what BUILD is, I need to make sure that you understand that there are definitely two kinds of support services on the UND campus. One is our services for students with disabilities, and this is what you would typically find on any college campus in the state of Indiana. It complies with the ADA. It has free reasonable accommodations for all disabilities. Um, and it would be important to note that all students on all campuses have access to walk-in tutoring. They just have to advocate for that tutoring themselves. Typically, when a student goes to college, free reasonable accommodations are your testing accommodations. So it's things that just even the playing field. So having extra time when you take tests, um, being able to take your tests in a quiet setting. Uh, maybe you need housing accommodations if you have a physical disability or if you have a hearing disability, having hearing aids uh, set, set up with you. Um, and so then, we can talk about the BUILD program. And it's important to me that I stress that because I don't want anybody to ever think that they would have to pay a fee to get accommodations at UND. So the BUILD program does have a fee for the service and it provides those reasonable accommodations, but it's also a huge safety net. And if I had to compare it to something that you would see in the high school, middle school, um, elementary setting, I would say that it looks more like that resource room that students go to for extra help where somebody is making sure that they're on track, that making sure that they're using their time wisely. Um, so currently, the cost for BUILD is $3,500 per semester. So let me tell you what you're getting for that. BUILD has specialized courses. We have tutoring. We have an autism social skills support group. We have an autism social activities group. We run midterms for our study rooms for midterms and finals. We have assistive technology for the students if they want to check that out, such as smart pens, uh, dragon dictation. Um, and we also provide those testing accommodations. We actually run the testing center for all of campus. So any student who is in build becomes very familiar with all of those pieces that we offer. So the specialized courses, this is something you won't find anywhere else. Um, and it's kind of important to note that we really are one of a kind in Indiana. Um, so we have some build sections of courses that help students earn some of their credits. So for example, we have English 101 and 102. English 101 is that paper writing class that all students have to take. And we have a build section of this. You wouldn't know that it's a build section uh, just because it's, it's taught in the same place as the other English classes. It's taught by a professor who teaches English. I will say she actually used to be a build tutor uh, about 15 years ago. And so she's so wonderful with the students and they love her. But the accommodations are already built in. So where you would walk into the typical class and they would say, here's your paper, here's when it's due. In the build section, they would say, here's your paper, here's when it's due. On Monday, we're going to work on the thesis. On Wednesday, 
we are going to work on your introduction. So it's still taught as a process and the chunking is already built in. Um, she also offers so many opportunities for self-correction and peer review that as long as students are meeting their deadlines and they are attending class, they should be very successful in this class. And having seen some of our students who have chosen not to be in that build section and have instead chosen to be in the typical section, there really is a huge difference. And I think it's because she really stays focused on those important things that uh, when they get finished, they are truly able to write those papers um, that they need to write to be able to finish college and do that with support from us. Uh, English 102, that's the reading comprehension course. And so kids have five, six, seven choices that they can take for this. And our section just takes out that huge amount of reading. So instead of reading, you know, two to four novels in their course, instead they would work with something that's more of a reading book or they're working with excerpts of books. We have a study skills course that all of our incoming freshmen take. This is taught by me. We use the first month to six weeks to learn how to use the university, to learn how to use build, to learn um, how to use the grading system, to learn how to use their tutoring, to learn how to use their testing accommodations. After that, we really do focus on study skills that the kids need in order to be successful when they're when they're in college. Um, and I will tell you that I love this class because it gives me a chance to get to know the students as we're starting out the semester. And it kind of gives me my first signal on where we might struggle. And so it could be that the student is late to my class. It could be that they don't come to my class. It could be that they're on their computer or they're on their phone during class. So it just lets me know some of those things that we need to be working on. And then we also have a foreign language. We have Build Spanish. And so every student who comes to UND has to take between one and three semesters of a foreign language in, in order to receive their diploma. And so this is a class where I kind of say take it or leave it because our students either come to us and have been really successful in a foreign language or our students have come to us and they've never taken a foreign language. And we really don't want the, this to be the reason that they can't earn their diploma. And this class is different. When you look at the English 101 and the English 102, it's the, the requirements are exactly the same. So it just looks a little differently in how it's presented to the students. For that Spanish class, it does not cover the same amount of material as your typical Spanish 101. It has a culture piece built in. So if students are required to take a second or third semester, they get to take require, or, uh, different classes to, to fulfill those. And right now, I think they have um, 12 or 13 replacement courses that they can actually choose from. Betsy, we've, we've had, had a couple of questions. Yes. And the first one is, will BDDS be to pay for the fee for the BUILD program? Now, I don't know how BEADS fits in with Voc Rehab, but if a student qualifies for Voc Rehab, um, often they, they will pay the fee. So I don't know how those, those two things go together. Okay. And, another, and we have another one that says that she's confused, or, so I'm confused about the fee. Do the students pay for their tuition on top of the $3,500 per semester? Yes, yes they do. Um, and what you are paying for with that fee, I will kind of talk about that here, I believe on the next screen, is tutoring. Um, what your child is paying for is tutoring. Um, our tutoring center um, all of our sessions are one-on-one, -on -one, they're individualized, and they are scheduled. So typically on a college campus, when a student decides that they are going to go to go to get some sort of tutoring support, they have to first decide they're going to go get tutoring. Then they have to find where they're going to go for that tutoring. Then they have to actually show up 
for that tutoring every time they need it. And most of our students tend to struggle with that self-advocacy piece and that, that throwing themselves out there and recognizing that they need the support, then following through and getting it. And that's something that we've removed with our program. The transition to college is a difficult transition because so many things are changing. And so what we've done is we've made this tutoring actually be part of their school schedule. So students have to do a minimum of two hours each week. We have our freshmen do a minimum of four to get through the transition, but I'm gonna be honest and say that this semester, we only have two students that are doing the two hours. Most of our students do between five and seven hours of tutoring per week. A lot of our students with autism do 10 hours per week. Um, is it, it, you have to remember that when students come to college, they are in class for 15 hours a week if they have 15 credit hours. And they're expected to do two hours of work each, each week for each hour they're in class. So that means for a 15 credit hour week, they are supposed to be spending 30 hours outside of class because so much of college is teaching yourself, keeping up on your readings, keeping up on your studying and making sure that you're prepared. And that's something that can be difficult for our students with disabilities. We also have open tutoring. So a student may be coming five hours per week and they may have a test on Friday that they feel like they need some extra support for. So they can come in and just sign up for some open tutoring for that. Um, we spend uh, uh, quite a bit of time on executive functioning in our tutoring sessions. Um, it's what's coming, being prepared for it, chunking it, trying not to be surprised by things. The worst is when you say, oh my gosh, there's a paper due at midnight tonight. Our goal is to make sure that that doesn't happen. So we have a huge calendar that each student fills out with their tutors at the beginning of each semester. And that becomes the first thing that is visited in every single tutoring session. So from that calendar, each of our students kind of works differently. So some of our students, um, they like to still take a piece of paper, like a daily paper that has what they're supposed to do on it. Some like to have a weekly paper. Um, we try if students don't aren't set on paper, we try to convince them to work through their phones because I'm gonna tell you, students often lose their paper, um, but students never lose their phones. I've not been able to figure that piece out, but they've always got their phones. So we do a big focus on executive functioning. Once you get through that scheduling and, and planning and how we're gonna kind of implement pieces um, part of the session, then it becomes more individualized on what the student needs. And so it does look differently for different students based on their disabilities and their struggles. So some students use it only for paper writing. Some use it only for studying. Some use it only for executive functioning. Some only for math. Some for all of the above. Okay, another difference is that our tutors are professional tutors. So they all have a bachelor's degree or higher. This is not peer tutoring. And we have trained them in learning styles, learning differences, disabilities, um, but we do not want them to take the place of the professor. And so part of what we're also doing in the BUILD program is working on self-determination and self-advocacy skills. So, for example, we assume that when our students come into us, they are maybe not the best self-advocates yet. And so that's part of what we're gonna work on. So when a student comes into tutoring, let's say they don't know what their assignment is for a class. Like they know there's a paper, but they aren't sure what that paper is gonna be about. That tutor is gonna be working with the student to try to get them to help problem solve the situation. So, um, well, if you don't know what your paper's on, what do you think we could do about that? So what are some choices? We could go to office hours, we could send an email, um, we could ask in the next class, and then the tutor's probably gonna say, well, let's send an email and let's do that together right now. 
Usually by the time our students are juniors, we expect them to be able to come in and tell us what they need to work on. So they may come in and say, hey, typically we are working on math right now, but I really need us to work on history. And I know that we were gonna work on this sociology paper, but I wasn't sure what to do. So I already wrote the professor to see what it's gonna be. Um, and our reasoning for this is that we're all, we all need help. We all need help every day. I ask for help every day. Um, the goal is being able to figure out what you need for your help and where you can go to get it. So our goal is not that students are dependent on build. It's that by the time they leave, they can be very, very independent and be successful in their jobs. I think I saw a question. Yeah, Betsy, we do have a question and it's, what do you mean by executive functioning? Do you mean that you help students organize their thoughts or their schedule? Yes. To, yes to both of those. Um, it's the, the most basic piece that starts every, every session is that calendar, what's coming, chunking it, and creating the steps that the student needs. And then from there, the executive functioning piece happens throughout the sessions, but that's just that more normal, the way the students need it. So for example, um, we have some students that struggle with starting papers. And so that could be what they actually are working on in their session. For some students, it's I cannot I cannot come up with what my pieces are to start this paper. And so maybe it's literally just making the list of every basic step. Oh, I've got to go and look up my sources and then I have to create that bibliography and then I have to actually read the sources to see which ones I'm going to use. Um, so the most basic piece that everybody has to do every time is that calendar so there's no surprises. After that, it becomes kind of individualized. And no, you are not supposed to be able to see the questions. Apparently there's this nifty Zoom thing that when you guys ask a question, it pops up just for us and we have to actually click a button. So it's kind of crazy. That's why we're making sure that we read them out loud. Okay. <clears throat> so now let's talk about autism. We have an autism social skills group that meets each week. Um, we use this time to teach the students skills that will hopefully get them through their job interview. And then as we go through the semester and we really get to know our students, each student has their own specific goals that they need to work on. And we then generalize those into the tutoring sessions. And we also try to find other ways to generalize those into their day, whether it's in um, our activities group or whether it's into scheduling little times for them to practice different things. But our, our goal is that the students are gonna pick up these skills and be able to use them in multiple places. We also have an activities group, which is student-led. Uh, students choose what we're gonna do. Um, and we do lunches two to three times a week. We do dinners, we've had Frisbee, we do Uno's, we learn to ride the red line, we go to books and brews, we've been to the mall, we do game nights. And even now that we're all kind of stuck in this um, COVID-19 quarantine, it has amazed me that these kids have all become so close this semester because we're doing lunches five days a week now. We're still doing our game nights. Um, we're starting to do some uh, virtual tours, like virtual museums. Um, it's been pretty impressive. And we know that we're being successful when we aren't necessarily scheduling everything. And instead, the students are scheduling it and then they're inviting us to some of these. Um, I've been part of a group text since these students have come home and I have been amazed how often they are putting their own Zooms together. About five nights a week, they are saying, hey, who wants to Zoom? And so it, it's, been, it's been absolutely wonderful. And when I say autism, it's, it is primarily for our students with autism, but what we have found over the last four years is that it has grown and now it is not just for our students with autism. It really has branched out. And we even have some students who are in this that aren't even part of BUILT. Um, they've all just kind of started branching out. Uh, it's been, it has been the most amazing thing. Um, as you can tell, I'm pretty passionate about this. 
for the first time ever when it came to housing this year, um, we had this huge group of build students and some other students, because I don't want you to think that they're just segregated because they're not, um, but a huge group of build students that decided they all wanted to live together. And so we had a morning where we got up at 6.30 a.m. because you had to click the buttons at seven and they all are living in the same wing of the same floor of the same dorm. It's really awesome. So how has social group helped me? It's helped me with basic social cues like sarcasm and eye contact. I cannot see all of these words because our pictures are there, I'm so sorry. It helps with making social situations less stressful. The social group helps with communication, advocacy, and life skills. It helps open the door of possibility. I know that there are, I sometimes get the question when it comes to the social skills group, um, if I feel like it is effective to have students with autism group together to work on a skill. Um, and my answer to that is that over the last four years, what I've learned is that in that K to 12 setting, we take our students and we put them in with their typical peers and we hope they are gonna pick up on the skills that their typical peers are showing. And when they're coming to me, they still have not picked up those skills. But what I've learned is that if I come right out and say, you have to fix your eye contact because of this. You have to, this is how you recognize how to enter a group. Here is how you recognize that it's time to leave this conversation. They're able to pick it up. And oftentimes what they're saying is, I wish somebody would have just said this to me instead of me just feeling awkward. Um, and then another is that a lot of the kids are coming back and saying, this is the first time I have truly felt like I have had a social group. I have people who think like me, I have people who feel like me, um, and I feel like I can be myself. So assistive technology wise, um, we have build center computers that students can, can use anytime they like. <laughs> we even have some little, little rooms with doors that will close so that students can have kind of that quiet setting while they're working. We have Dragon Naturally Speaking on all of our computers in the build center. And all of our students have the opportunity to check out a LiveScribe Smart Pen. I am gonna tell you right now, if you have not seen one of these, you have all got to go look this up. It is the most amazing thing and it makes our students independent with their note taking. A lot of parents come in and they say, I want somebody to take notes for my child. And I say, no, we need to do the Smart Pen. The reason why is long-term independence. This nifty smart pen, you use it on a piece of paper and it's like this little computer. I wish I had one to show you guys right now. Um, you push record and it starts recording the lecture from the professor. And so the student starts taking notes. Let's say they're terrible at taking notes and all they draw is a one. And then later on, all they draw is a two. The neat part with this is that if you take the pen and you touch it to the number two, it starts at that part of the lecture. So you don't even have to listen to the entire lecture to figure out what you missed. You click on the part of the notes that you've written and it automatically takes you to that part. So it also teaches students because then they can go back and start practicing how to take notes, which actually helps facilitate some of that learning. And the reason that I really love this is that when our students leave us, they are going to have jobs where they're going to be attending meetings at some point. And you can't have a note taker when you are an adult and you're out in the workforce. They don't just have a note taker there for you, but everybody can have their own smart pen and they're independent and they're able to have their notes from their meeting. We also have scanners and reading software. Every student on campus has access to Kurzweil 3000. So anytime a student is given a PDF or any kind of a document, they can easily drop it in and it will read, them, read it to them. And then we often, um, when students request, order their textbooks in an electronic format and they're able to have their textbooks read to them. And then testing accommodations. 
So um, typical testing accommodations are extended time, reduced distraction environment, having a reader, having a scribe, which is someone who writes it for you, um, having computer access for essays so you don't have to handwrite. Um, and in order to use these testing accommodations, students submit an electronic test request. Um, and I can't even begin to imagine what it was like in the days before the electronic test request, but now the student goes on, and this is something that they work on with their tutors, because um, their tutors often will be reminding them, hey, you have a test coming, have you applied for your testing accommodations? Um, but the student goes, they fill out a test request, and so they just put um, the professor, the class, the date that the class is taking the test, and when they hit enter, a copy comes to us and build, and a copy goes to the professor. So when the professor sees it, they, they do whatever they do, they click their appropriate buttons, and then they send the exam to us. On the day of the exam, the student just shows up, and instead of going to class, and they take the test with us. It's really a very, very efficient process. Um, if a student comes in not as a build student, then they would turn in their most recent IEP and their most recent evaluation, and then their accommodations would be determined based on that paperwork. Um, if a student comes in to build, we kind of allow access to all of these, and our reasoning is that a lot of students come to us and they were just handed accommodations but nobody ever really checked to make sure that they were the appropriate accommodations or they, they actually helped the student. And so sometimes we will find that students are really struggling on their exams, even though they're, they're really good studiers. And so sometimes they will take exams with me and we will play with accommodations um, because sometimes we just have to shift the accommodations around and it makes all the difference. I've had a student before that even tutored other students and so totally understood the information but could not pass a test. And so the accommodation we just had to put in for her was that she had to actually teach the answer to the question before she was allowed to look at the answers to the questions. Um, I've had some students who have never had scribe as an option and it truly made all of the difference just by not having to actually write the information out themselves. It completely changed what their answers were. Okay, 29 years, we have been here for 29 years. Our 30th year is gonna be here this next year. We are definitely supported by the university faculty and administration, um, and they are very proactive with me. As with every place, there are, some, there are some people who are a little more difficult to work with, and part of what I do with the students is try to make sure that we make good scheduling choices, but a lot of times the faculty will be reaching out to me first and saying, hey, I haven't seen this kiddo in two classes. Can you help me figure out what's going on? Or I'm able to ask them questions to see what's going on and, and they're wonderful at answering. Um, we have approximately 65 students and 24 tutors. Our retention rate is 74% and this changes each year. If you, the retention rate is measured by your number of students who come to you as a freshman and they are with you their second year. And so if you look, most colleges, their retention rate runs around 50%. So that means 50% of students who start their freshman year will not be returning to college their sophomore year. So this has actually been, last year was a lower year for us and it was 74%. Typically our retention rate runs between 80 to 85%. Um, our cumulative GPA is a B minus. I can't tell you exactly what the number is because it's hidden under our pictures, but it's in the B minus range. Um, last year, altogether we did 5,925 tutoring sessions. So think about that, 65 students, 5,925 tutoring sessions, and our average GPA is at that B minus range. That's pretty impressive. And our students' majors include everything, everything. I've yet to see a major that our students aren't capable of doing. 
So in order to apply to the BUILD program, there are actually two parts. One, you have to apply to the University of Indianapolis, and the other is you have to apply to BUILD. And again, I have to go back to we are not a college experience program. You are genuinely working to get your college degree. We are just helping you get there to do it. Um, and so you, you get accepted to the University of Indianapolis and then you apply to BUILD. Do the professors know which students are in the BUILD program? Sorry, I'm looking at a question now. And are those students designated as BUILD on their class roster? <clears throat> Good question. Thank you for asking that question. No, students are not designated as having disabilities on a class roster because at the college level students get to choose whether they're going to disclose. So if a student goes in and they are a disability services student, they pick up a letter, a memorandum, and they hand it to their professor. And it is completely up to them whether they choose to hand it to that professor or not. And that's the way it is on any college campus across the United States. Now, if a BUILD student comes in, they have to sign a release that says that I can talk to their professors and I can talk to their family. And if they don't sign that release, then they cannot be in BUILD. Um, so even if a student doesn't turn in their memorandum at some point, um, I, I, I end up interacting with them. Um, I, hope that, I hope that answered your question. But it would be important to note that students have that choice on any college campus, whether they're going to share that. Okay, so the build admissions process, there's an online application, and I have to tell you, if you make it take a long time, it will take you 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and along with that, we ask that you submit your diagnostic testing. Usually the evaluation that was done in school will work. We prefer it be within the last three to five years, but sometimes as long as I have a really um, good up-to-date IEP, then I can go ahead and work around that. And I always say, if in doubt, send it to me, let me look and let me decide. And then the last piece is a personal interview that the students have with me. Things I wish I had known before college. I just absolutely love this. I just asked the students, I said, hey, if you had a way to, I made it go away. If you had a way to let us know um, what, what you wished you would have known before you started college, what would that be? And these are the answers that I got. You must put in hours of hard work on assignments because they can be extremely difficult depending on the class you're in. Your teachers do not teach you everything you will be tested over. A lot is in your books and is never talked about. You have to study and read your notes every day. Each year your classes will get harder and they will require more work. That friends aren't magically going to come into my life. I have to go out and make some. I especially love this next one. Not to spend all of my saved cash at the beginning of the semester. That I get a zero if my work is late. That I get no sleep. That even when I'm sick, I have to go to class and do my homework. Absolutely, Lori, you can share this things you wish slide to your students. Absolutely. That I have to read my textbooks before I go to class. That is one of the things that students really struggle with is understanding that they need to, when a professor says this is what you need to read, you must read it before they go to class. And I'm going to digress here for just a second. But one thing I would want you guys to know is that the accommodation for extra time to turn in your assignments disappears when you go to college. Because students have all of their assignments on a syllabi and because they have this huge amount of time to work on things outside of class, they have to meet their deadlines. And so if possible, if your child has that accommodation, you need to try to eliminate that now. Some of our students who come in that struggle the most are the ones who say, but I'm not starting it because it's not really due yet. 
and I should get an accommodation for extra time. So kind of take note that that one can be a difficult transition from an accommodation. That I need to take notes in every class. Sometimes you will fail at something, but rather than think of it as a fail, think of it as a learning experience. With this fail, there will be amazing results when you are ready. That I have to do more than homework and tests to pass a class, I have to read and study every day. I wish I had known how much more responsible you have to be when it comes to homework and studying. Letting yourself slip away from it for even a week will crush your semester real fast. I really like this one as well, that having a disability does not make college impossible, but there are a lot of times that I will have to work harder than everyone else. And that there is no accommodation for extra time in college on homework. So I have to plan my time accordingly. Now, one thing that I would want you also to all know is that <clears throat> if your student, if your child isn't doing homework now, they are not going to miraculously come to college and do homework. I hope that makes sense. Um, if your child cannot do any kind of work independently, they are not going to suddenly come to college and be independent. And so these are skills you have to start working on now. Um, because again, I go back to the transition to college is a big one. And if the student has no ability to be independent, if they have no ability to meet their timelines, if, if they have no, you know, they don't have those perseverance skills to try to put in that effort, um, they aren't going to make it when they come to college. And so you guys need to start now saying, what are the skills my child needs to be successful in college? A one of those, he needs to have a homework time that he meets. So maybe you guys start by helping them set that time, making sure they're doing it, but then it becomes something they have to do. They have to carry on with that consistently. Um, you want them to be as independent as possible. Also, getting themselves up in the morning. You would be surprised how many parents that I meet with and I'm like, hey, are you, are you setting your alarm? And the parents are like, no, I have to get him up every day. And I'm like, he's gotta be able to get up and get himself to class. You know, he has to be able to get himself dressed. Now to make y'all feel better, um, our students, also being the parent of students with disabilities, our students are actually more prepared for college when it comes to the personal skills or the, 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 the self hygiene type things, doing laundry, um, getting themselves up for school than the typical students are. And I think it's because we tend to worry about it more on this side. Okay, Jill, what do you have for me? Well, I just have a couple questions and you kind of, you kind of, touched on it whenever you were talking about the accommodations of the homework and the being able to set the alarm. But what other piece of advice would you give parents whenever they know that um, to prepare for that college? Because I mean, you know, like, and we both have been through this, that IEP, you know, we give them those accommodations and we hope that they buy into those accommodations. Mm -hmm. But you know, really honestly in life, there isn't going to be anybody that does that it would be a scribe for them. So what would be a piece of advice that you would give to the parents for that? Um, I would say as soon as possible, try to be looking at kind of the note taking support. Um, when it comes to like having a scribe for your exams, that other bonus is that once you actually graduate, very rarely do you have to be in that position where you sit and take an exam. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. And so some of that, it really truly is kind of an accommodation to get them through what they're being handed. But at the same time, it's also being able to stop and say, wait a minute, right now, my child isn't able to take notes. And so what could I put in place to be working towards that independence? Um, so instead of just accepting my child doesn't take notes, my child can't take notes, what can I do to baby step it? I know in particular for one of my children, um, when it was time for her to start high school, I was like, okay, 
my expectation is you're going to go to college. And so then it was, where do you have to be in order to get there? So we worked backwards and uh, we, we had, yes, an IEP with the school, but we had our own set of skills that we worked on at home um, that were kind of different from those, if that makes sense. So we had our own, what, you know, we're going to have you where you're getting yourself up. You're going to be taking your own medication. You are going to have your own study time. Um, yes, they have it where you're going to check your work at school and you're going to be um, working on these executive functioning pieces. But our goal was that by the time she was a senior, she was going to be able to be prepared and done before she showed up to that resource time. She had already checked those grades. She had already sat down the night before and started that work. So it was more like them just double checking. But it didn't happen when she was a freshman. It was literally baby steps. Okay. Now with the BUILD program, are the students allowed to live on campus and off campus or is this just an on campus? No, it's on campus and off campus. Um, we have some students that, that live in the dorm. We have some that live in apartments. We have some students that live at home and their parents drive them to campus every day. So there's a lot of freedom with that. Okay. And I know that you and I had talked about um, other universities, but this is such an unusual type of a program that is there any other colleges here in Indiana that does anything like this? No, we really are one of a kind. I know um, Ancilla does, they have a specialized autism program where they take in, I believe between like six and 10 students a year, but it's a two year associate's degree program. And they take the students, they, they put them in their own special housing unit and they work on independent living skills at the same time. But that's a pretty neat program that's recently started. Um, no, we really are kind of, we were one of a kind. Okay. And I know that you've been there the four years but I would like for you to um, e explain or express, because like whenever you and I were talking about the students that they start out as freshmen and, and they, um, I call it handholding, that's probably not exactly the, the you know, best term, but by the time they get to be that sophomore, that junior, and then when they begin to be that senior, they're, they're um, not as quite hands-on as they yeah. were when they were freshmen. So you've been there four years, so you've probably really seen some growth now. Um, would you expand on that, how that looks with those years going on? Well, it is absolutely amazing to see. And this is a discussion that I, I feel like it's important to say to you that I am a very high expectation mother and I am very hard to please Jill. I mean, Jill can attest to this. Um, and so uh, it, it kind of cracks me up now for me to be talking to parents and saying, trust me, I know you are terrified right now, but wait until you see what happens when they're juniors. Um, it is the craziest transformation. When they come in as freshmen, um, I feel like I am seeing them all the time, but it's, okay, minor emergency, putting out a small fire, what are our processes, what are we gonna do? It really is talking through the little things. And we teach the students when they first get there, no question is stupid. Um, and if you have a question about anything, come ask us. We may not be the person for you to go to, but we will make sure you get to the right person. And we have some students that need help getting to the right person. And that's becomes part of what we do. Um, and it just kind of gradually happens. They just become more comfortable. They become more confident and kind of the way that questioning process happens with their tutors and with me and, and any of the staff that's in build. Um, it's more like we are, we are part of a team coming up with a solution. And so the more confident they become with that as time goes on, um, the more they're coming in and saying, hey, had the issue, knew what my, my choices were, and here's what I chose. Um, and then usually by the time our students are juniors and seniors, um, they are, use, especially seniors, they're using less tutoring. Um, 
some of our students who are, are much more independent come in um, twice a week only for executive functioning. But again, I have to tell you, I've only had two students this year that um, that have been twice a week. Uh, and I've been so impressed with how everything has transitioned to online because of the Zoom program. Um, nothing has changed. And so the students are sharing screens. Everybody has their books on their side. The tutors are providing services from home. Um, it's, it's just been amazing. And the growth, the growth those students have, I just wish I could take all of you and say, okay, I wish you could fast forward to that junior year because you will not even recognize your child. That's great. That's great. Um, one of the other things that, um, that I know that, that this program has, and I, and I think this is just fantastic, was whenever, you know, when our kids are in school, when they're in school and we're talking um, high school and we've, we've done everything we can to get them to be in those social situations. And, you know, it, it's not, it's just not easy for them. But you shared an experience with me about your lunch program that just really, it, it really to me spoke to the fact that our kids are, um, they, they don't have the opportunities until they get into that college experience, until they get into college and they're trying to become adults where, you know, whenever they're in high school, we're, you know, taking them out of the lunchroom because they don't like the smells. They don't like the hearing. They don't have people to sit with them at lunch there. It's just not a good experience, but you guys have made this good for them. And, um, can you kind of talk to that? Because I really was very impressed with just the lunch. Okay. So, um, so, when I tell you that we are very supported by our campus, I mean, I cannot tell you how supported we are by our campus. One of the things that I wanted to start when I got there was just putting some really basic social supports in and giving the students an opportunity to take part in some social activities and just see what happened with it. Um, and so we started these lunches. And when we started these lunches, now we're on four years, um, one of the things that I thought about was, wow, the lunchroom is always loud. It's always crazy. And so we started making sure that we always got the front table. So we, we have all of this room between us and the door. So we're cutting out a chunk of the sensory. And they also totally were, were down with us letting any of my students come in. So anybody who wants to come join us, even if they're not eating in the cafeteria, they're allowed to bring their lunch. They are allowed to bring lunch from someplace else. They're allowed to bring it from off campus. They're allowed to bring it from some other place on campus. So if they don't like particular foods, they can bring any kind of foods in that they want with them. Um, and so the students at first, it usually takes a couple because they're like, ah, I don't want to go and they're grumpy. And then pretty soon what happens is they truly love coming because what they're finding is that they are in a group of scarily enough 15 to 20 people. And there are people that they have these awesome um, things in common with, like whether it's Pokemon, whether it's gaming, um, whether it's talking movies, um, they have this group of people that they look forward to seeing. And so we have some, some special dinners that happen on campus as well. We have like a Christmas dinner and a Thanksgiving dinner. And when we started going to those, we actually have some students that will come to those that won't even come to the lunches. And when we started coming to those, the cafeteria started giving us our own section. So they run two meals and they started making it where we get a table at the front and there's nobody in any tables until they're like eight away. And they make it where we have our own section. We have our own waiters that come and help us because their goal, everybody loves, everybody loves the students. Um, and it's not just the build students. They love all of the students on campus. Um, but everybody really loves the build students as well. Um, and, and it's just a welcoming place. I hope I kind of answered the question that you had. You did. You did. Because I think that this is, this is more than just, I mean, and, and I don't want to use the, the word college experience is what I keep using, but that's not what it is because this right. is an actual college life that they're living. Right. So, I mean, the, the, we're talking about students that are transitioning to adults and yes. we're talking about, it is a, it is an extremely difficult time. 
and you know it's difficult for it was difficult for my daughter who was not disabled that had no no IEPs had no concerns so it was difficult for her I can't imagine what it would have been like for her brother now he chose not to go on but that just that lunchroom scenario is just enough because I know what high school was like I know with the work environment that he's in how he had to manage the cafeteria where he works. Um, so, I mean, to me, you know, being able to, to just go to that lunchroom component is not only teaches you that, but that's also a life skill when they're out at restaurants, you know, when they're, when they're in the workforce and they have to be, you know, in a, in a larger area. So this is not just that college. It is, it is that transitioning to adult life. Yeah, we have some students that will avoid eating because it is so it is so alarming. And then when we start saying, hey, come on, come on, we're going to go to lunch Um, because this and this entire last year, typically we do two to three a week and then the kids start doing them every day. Um, This this entire year, we've done them almost every single day. Um, and like I said, the kids have been proactive. They send texts out, hey, time for lunch, time for lunch, time for lunch. And they're like, hey, I've never texted anybody before. Um, and now they have this texting group. It's, it's, been, it's been just crazy. And each year it grows more and more. Um, a couple questions on the list. One is more of a comment. It says a smart, I, smart pen is a great idea for note taking in college and on the job because the employee can use that pen to take notes when their supervisor is talking to them. Absolutely. That's why I love it. And if we start the kids on that on day one, they're independent. Um, I even like to take them with me when I go to meetings because I, most of the time I am kind of like flitty and floaty. And if I have a smart pen, I can go back and listen to the parts where I may have like zoned out and gone someplace else. And then the next one is, does the University of Indianapolis accept 21st century scholars? Absolutely, we do. Um, Yeah, we accept 21st century scholars, and uh, that means that they get that four years of, of tuition. And do you have to tell someone you are recording when using the smart pen? Uh, Not at the college level. However, um, well, let me go back and let me rephrase that. So technically, yes, in the sense that you would be giving your professor your memorandum. And part of that memorandum for accommodation says that the student is allowed to record the lectures. So yes, you do have to let them know that. And we do have some professors that will tell the student, they will have them sign something that says they promise they won't post it on um, YouTube, just because sometimes we do have professors that when they're lecturing, um, they, uh, they are planning to use it and present that. I can't remember the official word, but they're planning on, um, like writing a book about it. And so they don't want any of their, their super whatever stuff to go out. But yes, so guess they do have to tell them if you're using it with an employer. I don't know. I don't tell people when I take them to meetings, so I don't, I don't know that answer. My assumption is if you're using it and you're just taping every single conversation, you probably should tell them. But if you're sitting in a meeting where somebody is standing in front of the room and they're presenting, usually someone is kind of recording that or trying to take pretty good notes of the ad information anyway. And so I don't think that's as much of an issue with an employer. I think it's actually harder to use this in the school setting, the K-12 setting than it is anywhere else, because I think people have become very touchy about students being able to record things, which I think is really sad because this really is something that kids could have down pat before they actually go to college. And I find that to be kind of devastating because I think that is one of our roughest pieces of this transition is teaching them how to use a smart pen, when if they could learn to use that in college or in high school, that's one of the less thing that we have to teach when they get there. So what would be something that you would, when would we, if, if, if you had a student that you knew that was going to go on to college and, you know, um, when would you suggest that we start looking at those accommodations and starting to say, we need to start weaning you off of these because these are not going to be things that you can use at, at the college level? I think if you are thinking a child is going, I think, um, Becoming the old fogey that I am, I don't think any child should ever have an accommodation that says um, that they get 
late time to turn in their work. Um, and I understand that there are times when that should happen. Um, but if you are in what you would call kind of a trustworthy school setting, I would love to think that a teacher could make that decision with the student one-on-one. -on -one. My fear is those students who have that as an accommodation and they don't start an assignment until the day it's due and then they're just behind on every single assignment and then it becomes kind of a stress piece and we've stopped teaching the skill, if that makes sense. And yeah. I always try, I hate to say always and never because that's just never the right answer when you're talking about anybody that has a disability. Um, but that one does seem to cause uh, a, little, a little bit of trauma. But I think, I think you, you spend your entire college career or your entire high school career saying, um, what, do, what does it need to look like when you get done for you to have your best chance? And don't, don't think that I'm saying your child has to be fully independent. They have to be able to do everything because we really are there to help them. But if your child cannot complete work on their own, if your child um, cannot sit and do work, if your child cannot go to class, they won't be successful when they come to college. Even if they have 10 hours of tutoring per week, that is not enough time to do your homework, study, do your reading, and be successful. Right. And guys, this is a good time to ask Betsy if you have any other questions. We do have a few minutes left. Um, so please post your, your questions in that question and answer box. Um, she'll be glad to answer them. Um, you know, and you, and you speak to the, the, the transitions and things. And, you know, the alarm clock, that's a huge thing. But, you know, um, we also have kids that um, take medicines mm -hmm. and prescriptions. And, you know, a lot of times we dole those out to them. And before, one of the things that I've been really trying to be cognizant of now is to remind parents, look, when they do go off to college, they're not going to have access to you doling it off. It's really important for them to know what that medical background is for them. And so, because there's not going to be somebody there to do that unless they live off campus still. Um, so it's really important just for that medical piece to be able to take their medicine. Now, and I will share, um, it's kind of funny because, you know, obviously students take medications at all different times. Some students take medications all throughout the day. Um, it had become kind of a typical thing at lunch for students to pull out their pill cases and start taking their medicine at lunch, which I kind of thought was interesting this year because it, there was no stigma at all. But one of the neat things that I saw this year was that for some of our students who really do take a lot of medication, um, their parents have been utilizing that new service where the medication comes for you already in the baggie. Does, does, I don't even know if you know what I'm talking about, but it's like oh, there's something. Yeah. And so like the kiddo will just pull out a baggie and it has like the date and it has noon. And so like there, there are some parents who have done it that way if their students do have a lot of extensive medication type things. I know there are some parents who do still come and help their kids count out medication at the end of the week. Um, most of our students are extremely independent. They count out their own medications and, and take care of that all themselves. Well, I don't see any more questions in the question and answer box. Um, so Betsy, I want to thank you very, very much. I greatly appreciate you sharing this information with us. Um, it really gives us, you know, some real good food for thought on preparing our kids to get to that university level. Um, and I do want to, I, I really want you to take back to your powers that be at the University of Indianapolis. Thank you for letting them share this uh, PowerPoint with us. Um, because, you know, as parents, this gives us some more information and and food for thought on, on getting our kids to that next level. So thank you very, very much. Um, again, I don't see any more questions and answers. So I, at this time, I'm gonna turn it over to Kathy and let her finish up. Uh, I this wonderful presentation. Um, you can always contact Betsy if you have specific questions. Just want to do some follow-up information. Don't forget if you've attended only by telephone, we don't know who you are. You'll need to contact InSource, 800-332-4433, 
or insource at insource.org by the end of the business day today and let staff there know that you attended by phone so that you can get that certificate. Um, and don't forget the uh, survey link will come with the evaluation uh, that you'll be getting the survey that you'll get in a couple of mo moments. Uh, you'll be able to click question six and it'll provide you with a link to the certificate of attendance. This is our contact information. You can follow us on Twitter. We hope that you'll follow and like us on Facebook. And I would just like to add that InSource is still here for our, for our families. If you have questions or concerns, please contact your local InSource staff uh, because we're all waiting and you know, certainly willing to try to assist um, in any way that we can. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, thank you for joining us today and we hope that you'll join us for our next webinar. And um, please stay safe and stay healthy. Jill, anything else? Um, we had just a couple comments from Jessica. She said to say, wonderful ladies, thank you. And she also reminded us that we are on Instagram, which I keep forgetting about. And we also just had another one that said, thank you, very informative. <laughs> good, good deal. Okay. okay. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you for joining us.